My Mum Made Me, the show about the wonderful and sometimes the weird ways in which our mums make us who we are today. Hi, it's Paul here. I really hope you're enjoying the show and I'm going to ask you a favour if you are. Please do follow us. If you do, you'll get to hear all of the episodes first and of course it helps with my self-esteem. I'm only joking. Don't forget to rate us. We're currently on 4.9 stars, which is really exciting and every rating makes my mum, Teresa, laugh just a little bit more. So I am here today with a wonderful comedian, Aidan Jones, who I had the pleasure of seeing up at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. The reason I wanted to get Aidan on the show is Aidan and I share some similarities in the sense that we're both from sort of mixed parentage. His parents, particularly his dad, features quite a lot in his art and in his comedy routine. But we are going to talk a little bit more about his mum today, but also a bit about his dad. Aidan, how are you? Hello, mate. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. And where are you in the world again? Just tell our listeners. I'm in North Yorkshire, just outside the town of Selby. Selby, and you've even picked up the accent. That's right. Yeah, I have a very feeble mind. Before we get a bit more into your mum, by the way, I have to ask for your mum's name. Anne. Anne, before we talk a bit more about Anne, I think any listener listening to this is going to want to know what prompted you to search out your biological dad after such a long time. Yeah, complicated question, I guess, because I always knew that he existed. So the story is my mum was backpacking in South America when she was 22. She came back to Australia and then she found out she was pregnant. She wanted to stay near her family and he couldn't get a visa to come to Australia. So they just made a decision after I was born to go their separate ways. And then my mum met my stepdad when I was two and they raised me together and had my little brother. And so that's my family. And she told me when I was 10 that my biological father was, like, someone else. Wow. And then, like, I didn't really think about it. And, like, growing up, my nickname was Taco because the first girl I ever kissed thought I looked Mexican is the joke that I say on stage. And she was like, yeah, Taco. And I wanted to kiss her. So I was like, yeah, okay, see. (laughs) Things we do for love. And, yeah, exactly. Oh, beautiful Sarah Hayer at Scouts Camp at Super Splash. Uh, <laughs> I hope Sarah Hayer has apologised for this. Oh, she's no need to apologise. A wonderful <laughs> woman, I'm sure. I've not seen Fair her enough. in 15 years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this was around 10 that you first found out. And then how yeah. long was it before you sought him out? Well, I didn't seek him out until I was 23. And I think it was because my parents split up. And I really think there was a part of me that was like, Mum and dad have split up, so do I have a dad anymore? So let me try and find this other guy who can be my dad. I think that was the emotional kind of reflexive, you know, impulse. But, I mean, obviously, I still have a dad, and I'm still... My dad who raised me, like, you know, he's still my dad, and I talk to him and see him and whatever. But I think that was the moment, that was the kind of impulse that led me to do it. And then, you know, we started the process, and I was like, I did want to do it, but that was the kind of thing that yeah and so what what happened like just talk me through how you go about getting in contact with someone like that and then what did you do well mum had dated him for six months so it wasn't like that this was just a one-night stand and she had to track him down she had a friend this english lady in southampton who was also we've all, we've all got an english lady friend in southampton oh i know all That's the best actually, people do yeah it's an innuendo in some <laughs> parts of australia <laughs> 
So she had also dated one. So Fernando, my biological father, is a musician and he was in a band. And this lady from Southampton also dated one of the guys from the band, also has a mixed race kid who grew up in Southampton who's half Colombian. And so mom contacted that lady and then that lady put her in touch with Fernando. So it took all of two days. I thought it was going to be a long, slow process, but it was very quick and yeah, pretty frictionless. And then we spoke to him. My mom spoke to him on the phone. And then I spoke to him in 2015 and he's lived this like insane life. Oh, sorry. No worries. Um, it's early. <laughs> he, um, it's, for, for, for everyone listening, it's not early. It's, he's been very generous. <laughs> I was going to pretend, but never mind. <laughs> I was up until 2.30 last night playing Civilization on my laptop. So that's- There you go. God, from the fringe here. of Civilization. I know. To my enduring shame. So he fled Colombia in 93 because he was scared for his own life because it was a very dangerous place. One of his friends was shot and killed. He went to Europe. He managed to get in with some friends like on a visa or something. And then he met a German lady, but he had a kid with her, but then he wasn't there for that childhood. Like, you know, he kind of left that family as well. So he had a lot of problems with responsibility, I think, when he was younger. And then he met an Austrian lady and they live in Vienna together. But this is how I tell this. This is all on my special on YouTube, which is for free. If anyone wants to watch Aiden Jones Taco on YouTube, it's up there for free. So he wanted to open a Colombian restaurant in Vienna. Didn't have enough money. Took a loan from some dodgy people who turned out to be the Russian mafia. And then they wanted their money back soon and he couldn't get it. And so they came to his restaurant and they threatened him. And he robbed a bank. He decided to rob a bank oh for 50,000 euros. Drove away, got caught, did four years in a minimum security prison after giving evidence against those mobster people. And he's out now, but he doesn't have any money. So he just puts on events and plays music for the Columbia community in Vienna. That's his life. And that was what I found out when I spoke to him for the first time in 2015. Oh, my God. That is... <laughs> I mean, it's a sort of scriptwriter's dream, but... In reality, for you processing that, there must have been such mixed emotions. No, there was. I was very excited. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everyone's like, I've got a, I mean, I've got a bank robber for a dad. So yeah. So cool. <laughs> well, I'm, I was this kid, remember, who was like, at the time, what was I, 24, so still just a fucking idiot, had just come off the back of like, when I lived in Adelaide until I was 21. All of my friends, we, we would all just do heaps of drugs and like some of my friends were drug dealers and that life was very enticing to me. I was never any good at selling drugs. I'm really bad at it, but I What like, made you bad? Oh, are you, are you I just, just too nice? just do all the drugs. <laughs> Could never, you know, they'd say don't get high on your own supply. Never get high on your own you supply. You did. I did. I got very high on it. And then, you yeah. know, I'm just sloppy in the club with like 30 pills in my pocket, taking the whole <laughs> bag out and just like trying to grab one. And my friends are like, I put that away, Aiden. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Aiden. Thank you for your candor. That's okay. Um, yeah, I try and be as, as candorous. <laughs> candorous. I think we've just made up a new word there. <laughs> yeah, I know. What did Anne make of all of this? Oh, what did she make of his life story? Yeah. When she told me all of that stuff. So she called him first and then she called me to relay that to me. And I guess just she maybe wanted to protect me a little bit rather than sending me in, 
you know? So she called me and told me the story. And so she just said, just so I'm just telling you, just so you're aware, he makes bad decisions. Those are the words that she said, which I thought was very funny. And I was, Brilliant. yeah, I was so excited. I was just like, this guy fucking rocks, man. <laughs> Did the reality of your perception of your dad live up to itself once you actually met him and got to know him? You know, because well, bank robber versus reality is a little bit different, right? Yeah, well, I mean, he's not, you don't look at him and see a bank robber. You look at him and see, like, he's a very kind you know, at times softly spoken, but very excitable man. But, well, I think going in, like, I mean, I've been doing therapy for a couple of years and I'm 31 now, so I've got a bit more emotional maturity, I guess, than what I have when I'm 24, but I'm still an idiot. And when I went to meet him, I don't know that I really fully engaged emotionally with what was happening because it's so intense. And I've learned in therapy that my kind of pattern is that when things get really intense emotionally i tend to shut down so i think when i went to meet him in 2019 for the whole like two and a bit days that i was there i was just operating at such a high level of like emotion and anxiety that i just completely shut down and like detached so yeah i couldn't tell you i don't know if that answers the question but like when i first heard his story i was like yeah sick which is not really an engagement on an emotional level with the story, you know? And then when I went there, I think I was not so much in that, which is I peeled one layer away, but rather than having a completely disingenuous reaction to it, I had no reaction to it. Yeah. And I guess part of that is a bit of self-preservation as well, because for all the things that you said. Yeah, and I've still got a lot of anger about it, you know? Is that unresolved? Yeah, absolutely. I'll go see him again at some point in the future and I've got some more things that I want to say to him now that I maybe, because I'm someone who I just kind of go into shit and I don't really plan or think about what's going to, you know, like I went and met my biological dad and I tried to prepare, like I did some journaling and stuff, but really I wasn't that prepared for how that was going to feel or, you know, like, I mean, how do you prepare for that? I don't know. But I, yeah, I just kind of went into it without really thinking too much about it because if I'd thought too much about it, I probably wouldn't have done it. Yeah, makes sense. Turning to Anne, tell us a little bit about Anne. And I also want to, I mean, you're such a great storyteller, Aiden, like a really good raconteur. I also want to, you know, hear you tell some of the kind of the most memorable or potentially funny stories about this woman that we up to this point don't know too much about <laughs> you've got such a good radio voice fam it's just like thank you up until this point we actually <laughs> we're, we're introducing the character of Anne. <laughs> here she is she's taking the stage what's she gonna say <laughs> you're making me sound more like steve coogan than a radio but i'll, I'll take it i'll take you one thank I'm you i'm making you sound like random british man who exists in my head <laughs> exactly so what's some stories about her? I mean, who is she? She don't take no shit, which I like. You know what? This pops into my mind. She works for the local council in Adelaide in Australia, and she has done for like kind of 20 years. She's a, an environmental planner. So she studied like, actually, I don't know what she got her honours. I don't know what she got it in, but she has always worked in, yeah, like environmental planning and council level and like she's very passionate about the environment and climate change and has been forever 
yeah, she's like unapologetically, you know, like she gets really angry about it. She's very passionate. And she told me this story that it was like a couple guys were from the council came to her house and they were like doing something with the median strip or chopping down a tree outside the house or something like that. And maybe they were doing it in a way that was irresponsible or maybe they weren't supposed to cut this tree down or they were doing something that just, you know, and she works for local council so she knows how all this stuff is supposed to work. And they were doing this thing that they weren't supposed to do and she came out and was like, oh, what's this? And one of them kind of made a joke that was like, fucking greenies, who cares, these stupid trees, you know? Who cares about that? And she was like, oh, well, you know, actually I care about that and that's really important to me and I know you shouldn't be doing this. And he went, Oh, yeah, I was just joking. And she was flat out was just like, well, you weren't, so and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing, you know? She stands up for her beliefs. Yeah, exactly. Very fiercely. And she's got no time for people who are just going to say stupid stuff and not be able to back it up with some kind of reasoned argument or, yeah. Yeah. And what's your kind of memory of her as you were a kid versus now as an adult has that kind of an changed from the kind of yeah. an that you've described i feel like i'm getting to know her more as a person even in just the last few years like since i quit drinking three years ago i was drunk a lot of the time for most of my 20s and i would go home i think like i reflect on it and i think i was just i would go home and that's quite emotional and i don't like to feel those things so i would just drink and since i quit Whenever I go home, I spend much more time just kind of hanging out with mum. And like, at times it's difficult because I just realize that being close to people is something that's like not the easiest thing for me. But yeah, I feel like I'm getting to know her more as a person. She can be, she worries. She can be like, you know, she like frets about people and if everyone's going to be okay. But she's very kind and caring and yeah and she really like she has an amazing garden in the back of her place like in her backyard in adelaide that she like has all of these big like wicking beds that she's built and there's all natives and stuff and she grows her own vegetables and that because her parents were and still are like farmers so she grew up on a farm so it's very much like you know the land and living off the land and making do with what you've got and not being kind of frivolous with money Mm, makes sense. I want to tell you a little bit about my mum, yeah, Aiden, which I think this is the part of the show is, you know, connecting with people based on their kind of memory and stories from their childhood, but also kind of like reciprocating back as well. So my mum was called Teresa. And when I was 17, just before I went off to university, we had like this big falling out, I think, because that was her way of kind of processing, you know, the bird has flown the nest. In this case, I'm the bird and the nest is her her home. And, you know, it was really horrible. Lots of like blazing rows. She said, you're never coming back. You're never welcome here again. Fuck off. And I was just like, oh, my God, what the fuck? I'm going to go to university. This is really sort of supposed to be a happy time. But anyway, so that's the, the, the context of this, which will make sense later in this story. Also, I was very radically political. I was involved in something called the Socialist Workers' Party in the UK, which, reflecting back on it, is just absolute madness. But anyway, they had selected little old 17-year-old Paul 
to be the UK's representative to the International Communist Youth League Conference in Italy. And the reason it was being held in Italy was because it was also the location of the G8 meeting. And there was a big kind of, you know, anti-capitalist, cancel third world debt protest. Anyway, long story short, I kind of went on my own, flew over there, was staying in a tent in a car park, went on loads of protests. And, and one particular protest, I got caught up with a whole bunch of these like very kind of violent anarchists who started smashing up cars and mcdonald's and banks and obviously the italian police they didn't take no shit so all these helicopters start flying over and you know dropping tear gas canisters and water cannoning us and you know i'm just crying and sort of full of tears and then this cameraman from the bbc grabs me and you know sticks me on he's like why are you here i'm gonna I'm cancel third world debt and capitalism and everything and whatever and he's like do your parents know you're here and i'm like no no and anyway my dad saw the news clip and and hit the roof. But anyway, whatever. So there was all of that. And later, sort of on in the day, when all this sort of horrible, kind of like chaotic protest slash violence was still going on, I sort of managed to find my way to a square, but the square was surrounded by a whole bunch of like police and kind of military police as, as well, where really horrifically, this guy was shot at point blank range shot dead. So it's this protester called Carlo Guglielmi. I can't quite remember his name, but it was covered in the media. And just the whole experience, like, you know, being away from home, being caught up in this horrendous violence, seeing someone sort of relatively close, not too close, shot dead at point blank range, and also sort of being like, you know, just kind of grabbed and put on TV as well. I was just sort of so stunned and kind of like numb. I was walking back to the car park where my tent was. And in the distance, and I thought I was hallucinating, in the distance I saw my mum and I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I sort of walked towards her and it became clear that it was actually my mum. And what she had done is she'd found out, I don't know how, that I had gone to this protest, gone to Genoa in Italy. She heard she, your dad's told her, right? Yeah. I guess so. But like, I hadn't told my dad, so maybe, yeah, I, oh, I'm not right. quite sure oh, how she yeah. found out. She'd got a coach from Bradford in the north of England, not too far from where you are now, actually, all the way down to somewhere in Italy and got a coach up to Genoa and found that car park. And just by chance, she was obviously coming to see me, just by chance we bumped into each other. And I was just sort of like... Oh my God, either I've got an angel smiling on me or this is a woman who will literally kind of not climb over hot coals, literally, but, you know, metaphorically do the equivalent yeah. of that to come and see me. It's funny because at the time I was just so shocked and now sort of thinking back on it, like that's such an act of love. And there is a question in here, Aiden, which is <laughs> what would you have done in that situation? <laughs> How would Anna process you being at something like that? I'm not suggesting for a second no, that you would well, ever deign I to do that. I got arrested 12 days before my 18th birthday for smashing a tram stop with a hammer. She got a call at, you know, three in the morning or whatever from the police. And she came down the station and sat in the interview with me and was there. And yeah, she was great. You know, she was always there. And for, through the years when I was doing drugs and I would come, I mean, you know, I wasn't really like an addict per se. I wasn't like stealing stuff and that kind of behavior. But I was like out, I would leave for like days at a time and then come home for like you know, a night to sleep or a day or like a few hours and grab some stuff and then leave again or whatever. 
And she was always just like made sure that the house was like somewhere that I could come back to that I felt comfortable and that I felt that I could always, if I was in trouble, like call her or my dad for help, you know. She told me when I called her from like being arrested that even though that was obviously like a shitty moment, she reflects on it as like a really proud moment as a parent because that means that they created an environment where I felt like I could call them. And the other guy who I got arrested with, his family situation was actually really shitty. I don't want to speak about someone else's family, actually. I don't know. But his family situation was such that he didn't call them. Like, I think his parents weren't in town or maybe he was staying with someone else or whatever it was. He didn't have someone that he could call. And then my mum dealing with the people that he was staying with kind of said it was quite difficult. So, like, yeah, it was just a bit of a contrast there between me having someone that I could call who was looking out for me who really was ready to do whatever it needed to be done in that situation versus him who just didn't have that person. That's beautiful. Did you appreciate that in the same way that you do now at the time? No. Well, I wrote something about it. I used to write a lot of blogs before I started stand-up. I did write something about it when I was like 22 maybe. I think around the time I moved to Melbourne when I was 21 and started doing stand-up was the the first time when I had any kind of perspective on that, when I started to kind of get out of the taking drugs phase of my life, which was like a real formative kind of period for me. Um, so, yeah, while it was happening, no, no way. Man, I remember another one. One time me and my mate... Um, uh, he came round mine and we'd been up all weekend and then I was at mine and he came round with like some pills and we went into our room and crushed them up and drank some gin and did some <laughs> lines in my room. And then he, we drove his car into town. It was like a Sunday night. Um, but I was like, I don't want my mum to know that we're driving it. So let's just take the handbrake off and push the car down the end of the street. And she... <laughs> <laughs> I think and I know where this messaged, is going to end. She messaged me when we were down the end of the street, something just like, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> she knew. Yeah, she, she knew. She was knew. probably watching. She was probably watching out the window because we were so loud and dumb. And she, their room was at the front of the house and she could always hear when I came in and out. I could try and be so quiet and she always yeah. heard. Um, and yeah, I just remember me thinking I was a genius. I was like, oh, dude, we'll push the car down the end of the street. So she's the <laughs> and I just got a message. <laughs> oh, wow. And she had a good sense of humor about it. Well, not at the time. No, she was scared out of her life and she still brings it up to this day. She's, oh, Aiden, it was just awful. It was awful. Aiden, I just, it was a horrible time. I couldn't sleep. I can't believe you just put your mother through so much. Uh, <laughs> You're making Anne sound a lot older than she clearly is with that, with that impression. <laughs> you reckon? No, maybe that's what she sounds like, mate. You don't know. That's yeah, a perfect I don't know. Impression. Maybe, maybe. Um, what... I'm just sort of trying to build a bit more of a kind of a, a mental and an almost emotional picture of Anne. Uh, it, how would you compare her to someone in the public eye? So, like, is there like a famous mum or a famous figure who you know people can relate to 
by sort of understanding them as Anne, if that makes sense. Oh man, this is a horrific question for me because like like famous people or whatever I'm just not good at it like the first name that came into my head is Theresa May but that's just because that's the first person who came into my mind wow I I wonder why well I don't know I mean I don't know anything about Theresa May so no (laughs) the fact that you sort of instantly chose Theresa May is uh I wonder what that says subconsciously uh that I want to fuck Theresa May Perish the thought. Perish the thought. That would definitely be the naughtiest thing she's ever done. Oh, very naughty. She's a no. She's a nice naughty lass. That Teresa. <laughs> okay, well, slightly different what, question yeah. then. Who who would you want to play your mom in a biopic of her life? Theresa May. Theresa May. Got it. Okay. I, I, gonna... I genuinely, I, I couldn't tell you. That is an even harder question for me because that takes out politicians, and I don't know. You know, like. I mean, what, who's that? Who's the fucking old lady from Everyone Loves Raymond? Let's put her. But that's not what my mum looks like at all. Give us, in a couple of words, your summary of what it feels like to have done like a month intense run. Oh, runs, mate, it's so intense. I actually, I mean, here's a bit of a... Wait, can I swear? Of course you can. Oh, fuck yeah. Here's a bit of a clang <laughs> for you. I just recorded a documentary that... I am now endeavouring to have edited called You Had to Be There and it's about the experience of doing the Edinburgh Fringe as a performer and the Fringe coming back after COVID. So hopefully, given time, that will articulate those feelings better than I ever could. But in lieu of that, I will tell you that it's very intense. Yeah. Yeah, I I bet. I did 133 spots and shows in the month, which is not even that many, but I was doing the interviews for the documentary and stuff as well. I was trying to take it easy this year, but you can't, like, you just, you get swept up in it, man. Like, the first week is intense and everything's happening, and then the second week is also intense, but you're tired from the first week, and then the third week, you're tired from those two weeks, and it doesn't let up, and it's just, there's so much, like tiredness and i'm sick of the material and just go but you have to go on stage like do these spots and do your show and stuff so it's kind of brilliant because it makes you it puts you under so much pressure is the wrong word because the stakes aren't that high in the gigs but like you just get worn down to an emotional nub so that sometimes (laughs) you at the end you go on stage and you're just like i genuinely have no idea what's about to come out of my mouth and that sounds trite or whatever, and I no- normally wouldn't say something like that, but at the Fringe, it's one of the only places where it's genuinely true. Have you ever had a show go badly? I don't mean sort of badly in a traditional way, but as you say, you know, you get to a point where you're like, oh my God, I've just said this thing or this routine so many times. Describe like a bad experience. Well, maybe not bad, but definitely like some of those experiences that are born out of the emotional tiredness of doing shows it's just it's every single day like that's the thing that is the killer and like as a like i mean i do shows every single day pretty much normally but you're doing five or six a day and so like my day at the fringe like my three o'clock show that's an hour and then i would normally have like maybe an hour or two free so i'd see another show or see a friend and then i'd do like three or four spots around my 9.30 p.m. show, which is also an hour. So there's two hours and maybe three or four 10-minute spots. And just like, if you do one spot in a night, the adrenaline is such that normally you'll have to go and get like 
my thing is food. I'll go and eat some like shitty food, like pizza or something like that. I don't drink anymore. Some people drink or whatever, but you normally do something to, you know, put something in your body to deal with the adrenaline. And so, because you do that, you end up being up until like 2 or 3 a.m. every single night. Jeez Louise. And then you go to bed and then it just keeps going. Yeah. What so, yeah, some, some of the shows were like, man, the second last night of The Fringe, I was doing a spot at 10.45 every night on this show called Shaggers, which is just sex material. And I got sick of talking about sex. I don't care about sex that much. Though I don't want to talk about it every night. <laughs> so, I went on stage and just laid down flat on my back, staring at the roof. And that wasn't a decision that I knew I was going to make, even as I was walking to the stage. But then I got to the stage and I felt tired and I was just like, fuck this and lay on my back and did, <laughs> did my jokes for five minutes staring at the roof before I got up and because I started bombing, I wasn't doing well. <laughs> oh, no. So future tip for any aspiring comedians, if you're not doing great, just lay down flat on your back. on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then at England. least you don't have to watch the audience dislike you as you <laughs> ruin their evening. Have either of your parents seen any of your routines? Either and both, actually. So my parents, my mum, my dad is, my stepdad is who I call my dad. So when I say my dad, I'm referring to my stepdad who my mum met when I was two. They split up when I was 23 and I wrote a show. I lived in London from 2014 to 16, from age 23 to 25. And I wrote my first ever hour of stand-up about, the experience of living in London and I lived with this guy who was a con man and a bunch of stories about that and then also it involved... What made him a con man just to interrupt? Oh, sorry. I'm just... I'm absolutely off on a tear if you get me talking. No, I so love feel it. free to interrupt, mate. I've got yeah. a big-ass mouth. <laughs> so I lived in this shared house that was like a five-bedroom awful place in Dalston. Like, there was like mud and the kitchen sink would flood with this black bile and it was awful. I was living there and it was let by room, you know, like the agency let it room by room rather than the whole property. And so this random guy moved in and then he got a job working for the agency. And then he told them that no one was living there. And every new person who moved out and someone else moved in, he told them that he was the owner of the flat. So the agency were, in their mind, not collecting rent for these, like, three rooms. And then he was just collecting rent for them. And he was like, yeah, I'm the landlord. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, props to that guy. I mean, it's, it's pretty oh, unscrupulous, but, Huge you know, he balls. probably made quite a lot of money. Yeah, so, okay, but, so you were... He, sorry to... No, his no. thing, I wrote a blog about him every week in secret over, like, four <laughs> months. And then he ended up getting arrested for fraud. But then he came back and it was this whole thing. Was your blog used in court as evidence? No, I don't think so. I think he just kind of skipped out on it because it was a bit of a slumlord situation. So I don't know if it ever went to court because the, probably the agency were just as crooked as him, you know? <laughs> right. He's like, oh, God, you know, you just talk London, about scrupulous London industries. Property, man. Just to get this back to my mum and dad, sorry, because we've gone way off track. I wrote a show about that. And while I was over there was when they split up. And I wrote a show that like 10 minutes of the show was about them and, and them splitting up and then me making contact with my biological father for the first time. And the first time I performed that in Australia was at the 2017 Adelaide Fringe and they were both in the room and it was actually the first time that they'd both been in the same room since two years previous when they split up. Wow. I mean, kind of begs the question, how did they both individually 
take it and also process it given the fact that as you say it was the first time they'd seen each other in two years yeah i think they were fine i've got a pretty good relationship with my parents in the sense that i don't have any secrets from them i don't need to hide anything from them or maybe they've accepted that i just won't like i don't know i feel like i'm a pretty open book when it comes to whatever the details of my life you know so yeah i've never been like coy or kind of shy about telling stories of you know when i was young i was a bit of an idiot i got arrested i did a bunch of drugs and as i get older the kind of turmoils of life generally i'm not going to hide that from them and that's normally what i use to write jokes and stories about and stand up so yeah they'll come along um final question for me azim um hopefully your mom listens to this um but in anticipation of her listening to this what do you think she'd make uh, and how do you think she'd process the stuff that you said and how you're kind of like the picture that you built up about her oh the uh she would roll her eyes and just go okay (laughs) (laughs) that's her pretty default reaction to most of the stuff that i say and do okay aiden yep yeah whatever you need you know <laughs> <laughs> she's 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 been through the ringer she's had enough of your shit hasn't she? yeah exactly exactly um yeah and I, you know what i've actually noticed recently like i think my best friends uh all like th- that their kind of attitude towards me is that you know that they think i'm funny and great and interesting and all those things but like by and large, you know, the people who care about you are also usually they've had enough of your shit and they share that kind of reaction. Oh, yeah. my God. This <laughs> Not again, Aiden. Really? Stuart, <laughs> you suck, dude. You know that. Um, and I've been thinking about that in regards to the way that I am on stage and I guess trying to, like, I think it would be really interesting to have an audience react that way towards me like i did another set in edinburgh again one of these ones where i was just so tired and um i went on stage and i started riffing about people's socks and the socks that people were wearing and like people had good socks or hey whatever. i've got some i don't know if you can see oh Look at those, those. Are sick. what do we got there tigers they're tigers <laughs> nice they are sick <laughs> Look at Thank these. you. I got I got these on. Yeah, oh on. yeah, oh, the birthday socks, birthday uh, socks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then some lady and I was like making fun of people's socks or whatever. I I, I think I, my kind of default is when I'm trying to be funny is to just be mean. I think that's funny. <laughs> and anyway, this lady, I was just telling people to shut up and calling people idiots and stuff. Yeah. And uh, then this lady took her socks off and, and threw them to me and went read that and it said be kind or shut up. <laughs> and oh so the gosh. audience laughed at that and then me and this lady switched socks and then um while we were switching socks she was like are these clean the socks that you're giving and i was like yeah i mean yeah what i yeah got up at t- i had a shower this morning she's like you had a shower good and i said do i give off the vibe of someone who doesn't have a shower and in unison the audience were just like yes <laughs> And I think that dynamic of the audience kind of making fun of me and that be, having that be a way for them to kind of unite is a really interesting dynamic and is something that I'd like to try and foster on stage. So what I'm trying to say is I would like the audience to become my mum.
<laughs> so your mom yeah exactly in the same way that your mom wouldn't take your shit would make fun of you but would also kind of you know care for you i love that um speaking of audiences where can people see you in the coming couple of months in the future um i am uh when's this coming out uh in october so, okay, so well obviously they can see your youtube uh yes. documentary Aiden Jones Taco that's on YouTube that's that's not the documentary that is uh an hour of my stand up um about meeting my biological father in 2019 um they'll miss my european tour which is happening over the next 2 weeks i'm in like the netherlands and you make it that is that is a very grand um phrase isn't it european tour yeah. i love that you sound you well, sound like you're stratospheric amazing no i'm i'm only doing a few i'm actually to be honest it's really a, a tour of the netherlands with <laughs> luxembourg um it's a pretty small thing yeah but yeah. um in october i will be back in australia i'm doing a west australian tour i'm doing perth albany and um margaret river um they're all on my website and then after that i mean i'm around australia and then i'll do the festivals in australia next year with my new show which is going to be called the morning after all of this can be found on my website aidenjonescomedy.com as well as my weekly podcast sitting under a tree which i've been doing for five years and has currently 54 listeners <laughs> Aiden, what a plug. Um you you've made me laugh uh during this recording. Thank you so much. Aiden Jones, what a brilliant star you are. Thank you very much for having me, mate. I really appreciate the time. Cheers. Cheers.